But this is a special week, is it not? See, Christians, we're united by the events of this week around the world, even though we're celebrating it and acknowledging it in different ways. That's okay. Don't get hung up on the specifics. Uh, get hung up on the reality. God became man, and he came to earth to redeem us. This is holy week. Uh, tomorrow night, uh, Christians gather around the world in different ways and acknowledge the Last Supper, food uh, that the Lord attached uh, with a tremendous transforming message. And then subsequent to it, he suffered and died on the cross. Good Friday, good for us, not so good for him. And you have to go through these events in order to celebrate what we will, Lord willing, on Sunday. Christians around the world, uh, he rose up from death, won victory over the last enemy, so that there's no need to fear it whatsoever. For the Lord Jesus is the first, first fruits of life from the death. This is a distinctive, one of the many distinctives of this one who we bow before in worship. He, the giver of life, won victory over death, and so we celebrate. The writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, has been making the case it's valid. He doesn't have to make it, uh, I think, to most of us, but it has to be made that this Jesus is far better. In prior weeks, we discussed the fact that this Jesus is better than the prophets. And then we discussed the fact that this Jesus is better than the angels. And then the last time we were in the book of Hebrews, we discussed the fact that this Jesus is better. His voice is better than all other voices. And tonight I'd like for us to track the writer's uh, attempt at persuading us of this. This Jesus is better than all other men. By the way, the name Jesus will first be mentioned uh, for the first time in the letter of Hebrews in our text tonight. It's Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. We'll just look at a few verses. They're rich. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. You see, the recipients of Hebrews knew of this Jesus. They would have referred to him as Yeshua. And they knew that he was human, and they knew that he came, and they knew that he suffered a rather disgraceful end, but many did not know much more. Many did not realize he was categorically different. What reason, they would say, should we have for assuming that this Jesus is superior to all others? And that's the point the writer is going to address tonight. He wants to persuade his first century readers, and by extension, all those who will today, who will be open today, he wants to persuade them that this Jesus did not just live a human life which came to a horrific end, that's it. No, he wants to persuade them that this Jesus is better, is superior to all other men. And so track the argument as we begin now, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. Look what it says, for he... God, the Father, did not subject to angels. Do you believe in angels? Yeah, me too. They're mentioned in the Bible. He did not, the Father did not subject to angels. Look, the world to come. 
Doesn't that phrase make you excited? Do you know if you are a believer, you belong to that world, even more than to this world. You belong to the world to come. And this says that the Father did not subject that reality, the world to come, to angels. And it's that which the writer says uh, we are speaking. The world to come, the time when the Lord Jesus rules and reigns supreme. It's an interesting kind of a paradox because it is now, but not yet. The reality of the Lord as Lord of Lords and King of Kings has undoubtedly taken root in your life if you're a believer. So there's a now aspect to the kingdom, but there's also a not yet aspect. It has not fully come to be. You are not fully in it yet. Only partially the best is yet to come. Now with regard to the age to come, what's implied here is that there will be a need for some governance in it and that God is not going to appoint in any governmental positions in the age to come angels. It says there, he didn't subject to angels the world to come. Angels in the future government in which the Lord is supreme, angels will hold no positions of governing authority. Do they now? Yeah, they do. In fact, in the present world, the chief fallen angel, Satan, has much influence indeed. Listen to John chapter 12, verse 31. Now judgment, it says, is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. It's a reference to Satan, the chief fallen angel. He's referred to as the ruler of this world. Oh yeah, there are angels who exercise governing authority. Not only evil fallen angels, holy angels as well. In fact, so much of what's going on in this very unsettling world situation is only explainable by the reality behind the scenes, and that is to say a conflict between the two, these two classes of angels. There are angels elect and angels evil, and they are at odds with one another. And this explains, even sometimes more than geopolitical realities can, this cosmic battle between fallen angels and elect angels is what's really going on. The reality behind the scenes is probably the real reality. That's what's happening now, but it won't happen then. See, the Bible says, for he, the Father, God the Father, did not subject to angels the world which is to come. What they do now, they will not do then. Have you been to Israel? I've been there a few times. There's a place called Qumran. Perhaps you've been there, Qumran. It's hard to pronounce. An unusual community live there. They're called Essenes. You wouldn't know about the Essene community except for something discovered in 1948 or something like that called the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. You see, it was around the Dead Sea, so they call it the Dead Sea Scrolls. Quite an interesting story, not for tonight, but some other time, how they found it. Anyway, they are copies, the earliest in existence, 
of many of the books, most of the books of the Old Testament, the Dead Sea Scrolls. But it wasn't just scripture that was discovered. It was also documents, legal and otherwise, that give us insight into the daily activities of the Essene community and the people of the day. And so we find out when we read these particular Dead Sea Scrolls that the residents of ancient Qumran, the Essenes, had an unusual belief. They believed in the age to come, and they believed that during that time, the archangel Michael and his subordinate angels will have supreme governing authority. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, not true. For he, the father, did not subject angels the world to come. Well then, if angels are ruled out as the supreme governing authority in the world to come, this leads to the obvious question, then who will be delegated supreme governing authority in the reality, in the age, in the world to come? We'll find out, but not just yet. I'll tell you what we find out now. We find out that this writer uh, of Hebrews invokes now in the New Testament, a quotation from the Old Testament. You see, it's all the Word of God. And in particular, it's from Psalm 8. And he, this writer, references Psalm 8 in verses 6 through 8 of Hebrews chapter 2. So here's what it says, verse 6. He begins by saying, one has testified somewhere, saying, wait a second, if it's Psalm 8, why didn't he say, if someone has testified in Psalm 8? Why didn't he say, David wrote in Psalm 8? And I'll tell you why. It's not that he didn't know where this is coming from. Oh, no, this guy has already profusely quoted the Old Testament already at the beginning of Hebrews. He knew whoever wrote Hebrews knew the Old Testament backward and forward. You know what the deal is? He doesn't want to get us hung up on who the author of this statement is. He wants us to focus on the statement. So here it is. It's from Psalm 8. What is man? That you remember him. David was saying this. The writer of Hebrews is invoking the words of David. What is man? David said one time. See, David went outside. He was a shepherd. He was outside. It's nighttime. He's under the stars. He looked up. That's what shepherds do at night. You care for the sheep, but you have lots of time on your hands. He looked up. And he was overwhelmed by what he saw there. And he made this statement. David did. Oh, God creator what is man humankind that you remember him or the son of man have you heard have you read that phrase son of man before who do you think that's a reference to no it's not it, it, it is not always a reference to jesus the term son of man is often used of jesus but not here it's actually translated son of adam son of adam Son of the earth. You know what's in view here? David is overwhelmed when he thinks of the puniness of humankind originating from earth. Adam, first man, son of Adam, all of us who've come after. This is not about the Lord Jesus yet. You'll see. Hang in there. This is not blasphemy. You just have to kind of 
Check out the context, which you'll see. Anyway, David is overwhelmed by the greatness of creation and the smallness of man. And every generation, the son of man, everyone emanating from Adam, he's overwhelmed. What are we, said David, that you, almighty God, are concerned about him? What is it, O oh God, about you? Such that in spite of our lowliness, you pay so much attention. Your focus is upon us. You created all things, but you made us to be the crown of your creation. You made us to be in your own image. These are the thoughts I imagine were going through David's mind at the time. And his thoughts continue now in verse 7. Again, a quotation from Psalm 8. You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. God made us, all of us, humankind, for a little while, just for a little while, lower than the angels. And he has, in fact, given us great privilege and position in the universe he has created. But we fell from our place of dignity. First man, the representative of us all, Adam, from the earth, Adam. First man sinned, and as a result, all of us who come from him, all of us have lost our lofty role, we have lost our dignity, so to speak. Here's what it was, verse 8. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. And then the writer of Hebrews comments, for in subjecting all things to him, to humankind, he, God the Father, left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. So this is what God did in the beginning. This is what he did in us, through us, for us. He put us over all things. He said, be fruitful, be multiply, ha multiply have dominion. He made all things subject to us in the beginning. But something has gone horribly wrong. We have, we have, we have sinned. And in sinning against God, we have lost our dominion, our control over the world in which we live. So now we live in a world that is absolutely out of control. So what is our situation now? Well, well the writer of Hebrews tells us, now we do not yet see all things subject to him. Folks, animals were made to be subject to us. Do you know this? Not by fear, by affection. That's changed. Did you know that the ground was made to yield only good things? Not now. That has changed. Now we see it yield things like thorns and weeds. Do you know now we have poisonous snakes? We have earthquakes and hurricanes. You know what we have? Even in North Texas? 
tornadoes. We have drought. Now for many, life has become a constant battle for survival. You realize it wasn't to be this way. We do not now have dominion. In fact, we are being subject to realities God intended for us to subject to ourselves. We are not masters of the universe at all. In fact, we have lost mastery over ourselves. A man who's had a rough life, very tragic things, loses entire control, waltzes over to his school in Oakland, California, and at random shoots and kills people. Not only are we no longer masters of the, the environment which God intended, we don't have mastery of our own passions anymore. That's what's happened. We have fallen because we have been mastered by sin. So what is our reality now? But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him in the Original creation, God who created us made us to be in his image so as to subdue the earth and rule over it. I'll share this with you. Genesis chapter 1, listen, verses 26 to 28. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We lost that dominion. Now we are dominated by sinful inclinations. Who did we lose that dominion to? the ruler of this world. We lost it to Satan so that he is now, as it said, so we referred to previously in John 12, 31, the ruler of this world. As a result of the fall, God ordained that the earth would be cursed so that man would have to till it by the sweat of his brow. Listen to Genesis chapter 13, verses 17 and on. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. By the way, when we think about this Passion Week of the Lord Jesus, do you know that the crown of thorns which was impressed upon his brow would not have been there but for our sin because the ground was not meant to produce thorns, you see. But now it says here in Genesis, thorns and thistles shall grow for you and you, you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread until you return to the ground, meaning Adam, earth, because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. So first... Man and woman, Adam and Eve, 
lost their place of dominion. And as a result, the entire human race, those of us, son of Adam, son of man, those of us who followed, became subject to things like sickness and death. The effects of sin have infected the entire human race so that Adam and Eve's first son, remember reading that right away, their first son murdered his brother, fratricide called. Man became subject to natural disasters such as earthquakes and volcanoes and floods and fires and tornadoes and hurricanes and drought and terrible extremes of heat and cold. It wasn't supposed to be this way, folk. The writer of Hebrews, in quoting Psalm 8, says, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. But then the writer of Hebrews here in verse 8 says, but now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. And then the writer of Hebrews says in verse 9, but we do see him. Now we're talking about Jesus. Before we were talking about Adam and his descendants, man with a small m. Now we're speaking about the man with a capital M. You see, all this dominion and dignity was bequeathed to us by creator God. He made us to be the crown of his creation, and we fell from all such dignity and gracious, lofty positioning. But the God-man came to restore all that the rest of us have lost. And so you see in verse 9, for the first time in Hebrews, his name is mentioned. But we do not, we do not see all things subjected to him, that is to say humankind, him, small h, but we do see him, capital H, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. That's why I say, the point of the writer of Hebrews is to demonstrate to us he's better in all ways. And here's one in which he's better. He's better than all other men. He's the perfect man. He is the God man. He is the one who has come to help us recover all that we have lost through sin. We do not see humankind to be in control at all, but we do see Jesus. Who? The text says, because of his suffering, the suffering of death was crowned with glory and honor. The path to glory and honor for the Son was through incarnation, enfleshment, and death. He was therefore, in that sense, made, the text says, for a little while, lower than the angels. Why? The text says, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. God cannot die. So God became man to die in such fashion that he would taste death for all other men and women. Why? Because he's a far better man than all other men. And so he, by the blood of his cross, regained for man what Adam, representative man, lost for all men through his sin. And what caused him to do this? The text says, the grace of God. The grace of God is what moved Jesus to taste death for everyone. Folks, here's the point. What we deserve, we do not receive. What we receive, we do not deserve. 
It's all of grace. This Jesus, don't you see, is far better than any man before or after. We do not see Psalm 8 fulfilled in us. It was meant to be, but has failed to be because we have sinned. We do not see Psalm 8 fulfilled in us. But what we see is Psalm 8 fulfilled in Jesus. This Jesus, you see, is far better than all other men. Jesus Christ was the first man to be restored to the magnificent destiny of Psalm 8. He was crowned with glory and honor over all creation. And here is really, really good news. He does not enter that glory alone. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. You see, in bringing many sons to glory. So united to Jesus by faith, we will experience with him the fulfillment of all that Psalm 8 was meant to be. We are all flawed. We are all sinful men and women. Jesus is the only sinless God-man and united to him by faith. We are all brought with him into the glory which was intended for us, but which we fell from because of our sin. And the text says all this was fitting for him. It was fitting for him to become flesh so as to suffer, so as to die for guilty ones. It was fitting for him, it says. In what way was it fitting for the God-man to die for one such as us? It was fitting because it's consistent with the character of God. He's holy. If there's sin, there must be a penalty. But he's merciful. If there's sin, then there has to be a penalty. Let it fall on another, even his own son. And so God came up with the solution to our dilemma. It's called the cross. You and I could never have come up with non the cross. It's like the Lord Jesus extending his hands. And he said, in this hand, you see, I'm going to fulfill God's standards of holiness. And this hand nailed to the cross, I'm going to satisfy God's interest in being merciful to one such as you, I who don't deserve it. He brought both requirements of God together on the cross of Jesus Christ. There was a penalty for sin, but we need not pay it if only, if only we would lay hold of the Lord Jesus as our personal Savior. Can't you see why I tell you he's far better than, than any other man? What is God's purpose in all of this? Well, the text says it is to bring many sons to glory. First man, Adam brought us down. Second man, far better man, Jesus brought us up. He came from heaven to earth to enable us to move with him from earth to heaven. And so you see, he is, as the writer says, the author or captain, your Bible might say captain, of our salvation. It literally, the word means pioneer. He blazed as a pioneer, the Savior, the Lord Jesus, the perfect God-man. He blazed the salvation trail for us. He went before us 
and made a way. If the God-man, Jesus, had not so done, if he had not forged this new trail, then the first man, Adam, would have led us into eternal lostness. We never could have regained what we forfeited through sin. It took the far better God-man, the Lord Jesus, in order to restore what we have forfeited through sin. This Jesus, don't you see, is far better than any man. Tell me, what man do you know of in your life experience today, or what woman is really in control of what plagues us? What candidate for political office, which one, give me a name, is really in control of what really plagues us? Name me the person in whom you are placing your hope of a renovation of the ills of society. Tell me the name. I want to know. He, she has my vote. Tell me who it is. Don't you see we're setting ourselves up for great disappointment? None exist except the God-man, the Lord Jesus who is a far better man than all others. We do not see anyone with viable solutions, words that mean much, and power to implement the solutions even promised. What do we see? We see Jesus. Don't you see? We do not yet see things subject to humankind. What? then? Are we filled with cynicism and dismay? Do we fall into despair? No. We don't see a human who can save us, but we do see Jesus. We see the God-man Jesus who came to save us from all that which plagues us down to this very day. I'm working real hard, are you, on fixing my eyes on Jesus because otherwise, it's very discouraging to get out of bed in the morning. Are you finding that? I don't want to ruin the day for anybody. It's already ruined. We all ruined it. It's just, a, I mean, I just, you know, sugar will kill you. I've, I heard this the other day. I don't even know why I watch this. You know, more medical people... Uh, it's a toxin, apparently, sugar. Can't do that. I don't know what the deal is. You can't. Wheat. You know wheat? Man, you got to go gluten-free. My wife got us on this gluten-free thing. I'm dying for a cheeseburger. Put some sugar on that thing. Come on, man. Next week, some guy from Harvard's going to come up with another study. Sugar, I don't know, keeps you from getting gray hair or something. I don't know. I mean, it, <clears throat> it's just, you could get discouraged for crying out loud. Lord William, going to Israel in June, people say, is it safe? About as safe as Oakland. <laughs> no, it's not. Where is it? Where is it? What has gotten into us? that we would kill someone who cuts us off on the road. Road rage. 
Did you ever hear that term when you grew up? I didn't have that term when I grew up. Road rage? What are you talking about? What's road? What is the deal? It's just, you could get really, really discouraged. I got a son in Afghanistan, middle of who knows where. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Why are they there? I don't know. Ask me. I don't know. Praying for them. What's up? I just... You could get really... You could get discouraged. We just don't see things the way they were intended to be. Genesis 3 and... We don't see things consistent with Psalm 8, with man created in the image of God. Listen to me. A mind to comprehend him, a heart to have affection for him, a will to obey him. And we've used those faculties in other directions. Now we use our mind to disprove the existence of deity. We use our hearts to have relations with one another outside of his will. And we use our will to do our own thing if it feels good. Good, I will to do it. We've used this marvelous, unique equipment with which we have been equipped so as to usher us into communion with God, and we've done it to distance ourselves from God. We do not see, as a result, things subject to us. We see ourselves subject to the inclination in us, which is called sin and which separates us from the creator. But then what do we see if we don't see all things subject to us whom God made in his own image? We do see Jesus. You see? That's what the writer is, wants to know. He's, oh, he's far better than any man you put your hope in. <laughs> he's far better. I told my wife when I die, I want somebody to sing. Maybe it'll be you if you're invited at, the, at my funeral. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You like that one, Barbara? It's on your gravestone you want it? This is good conversation. Okay. I mean, it's good. That's what the writer, the writer's saying. You can't, what are you turning? You're not going to... Turn your eyes upon the one who's better than all humankind. You see? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. What happens? The things of earth. They grow. How does it? It's strangely. They grow strangely dim. How? In the light. Let's stand together and sing it. You want to sing it? We already know it. Huh? Just the chorus. Let's sing it. After we sing it, we'll leave, unless you want to talk. <laughs> if you want to talk, we'd love to meet you in that room. There's a room. Maybe you've not been here before. On the other side of the wall, through those doors, we'll open them for you. There's a room. Connection center. Give us a chance to connect with you. Give us a chance to help you establish your connection with Jesus. He's better than all men. Who have you leaned on? Who have you looked to? He's perfect. 
He's willing to lend his perfections to your imperfections because his perfections can cancel out yours and mine. Think about it. We'd love to chat with you.